This is The Space Shot, episode 160, for October 21st, 2017. The Missile Gap. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Mulnix. I have a quick correction to issue for yesterday's episode. Venera 9 entered orbit around Venus on October 20th and touched down on October 22nd. I misread my notes and calendar, so I apologize for the switch-up yesterday. I had written the script for both of those parts for these episodes and simply used the wrong bit for yesterday's episode. I'm sorry about that. The information still stands from yesterday, we just need to move the date from the 20th to the 22nd. Not too bad for a slip-up if you ask me, considering it took 159 episodes for one to happen. Right now, I'm reading Grand Strategies by Charles Hill, and it's been making me think about some larger themes and topics related to the Cold War and that period in space history. Initially, I was going to make today's episode a quick one, where I'd mention the missile gap, talk a little bit about its importance, and mention some of the political players involved during this time, and I'll still do that in today's episode. I'm interested in doing some further reading into this topic, because it fits into a more significant piece I'm going to be writing over the coming months. There's also going to be some interview episodes dropping in the coming weeks, so I might have to talk about the missile gap during one of those interviews. What inspired today's episode was the presidential debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon that took place on this day in 1960. Kennedy had mentioned the missile gap during this foreign policy debate, The term missile gap was first used in the late 1950s and was used further throughout that presidential campaign. So let's start off with what the missile gap was. Quote, The missile gap was, in essence, a growing perception in the West, especially in the United States, that the Soviet Union was quickly developing an intercontinental range ballistic missile, or ICBM, capability earlier in greater numbers, and with far more capability than that of the United States. Although there were several ingredients in the U.S. perception, actually a misperception, the principal ones were effective Soviet secrecy, limited intelligence collection, biased analysis, Soviet deceptive announcements, and the actual Soviet success in testing intercontinental range ballistic missiles. All of them were justified concerns. That quote is from a publication titled, Penetrating the Iron Curtain, Resolving the Missile Gap with Technology, and I'm linking to it in the show notes. It was put together by the CIA, and that, coupled with some of the declassified materials and national intelligence estimates, provide a fascinating look into the capabilities of the Soviet Union and the U.S. intelligence related to those capabilities during the 1950s and 60s. There were two events in 1957 that I want to mention, the first being an ICBM test in August of 1957 and the launch of Sputnik on October 4th, 1957. These gave the Soviet Union an air of scientific prowess. The early Soviet successes combined with very public American failures led to the incorrect belief that the United States was far behind in missile development. As the authors of Penetrating the Iron Curtain put it, quote, by 1961, and as probably as early as 1959, the gap was actually in favor of the United States, 
though not widely recognized as such. In Closing the Missile Gap by Leonard Parkinson and Logan Potter, they described the initial national intelligence estimates that were created before the launch of Sputnik. The lack of reliable information on the specifics of the Soviet program meant that the national intelligence estimates had numbers on Soviet ICBM capability that varied widely. An example of this is how many ICBMs actually existed in the Soviet Union and how many there were thought to be. In January 1960, the estimate stood at 10 ICBMs. By mid-1961, it had ballooned to between 140 and 200, depending on the estimate. And by mid-1963, the estimates had grown further, ranging from the 350s to up to 640. In actuality, the Soviet Union had only four launchers in the mid-1960s and only 91 by mid-1963. The reason for those differences dates back to some of what I had mentioned earlier. Quote, effective Soviet secrecy, limited intelligence collection, biased analysis, and Soviet deceptive announcements. Naturally, these estimates erred on the side of caution in a lot of cases. It was during this time that Kennedy tried to paint the Eisenhower administration as flat-footed when it came to responding to the Soviet technological advances in intercontinental ballistic missiles. The reality on the ground became clearer when other reports looked at how many ICBM launch pads were in operation, concluding that there were no more than 25 operational launch pads. The panel believed that the Soviet ICBM threat, quote, should be materially downgraded and that the missiles did not represent an adequate first strike capability. The intelligence that was gathered by the newly launched Corona satellites provided proof of Soviet capabilities. But in the years before their use, the United States had to rely on U-2 flights and human intelligence for their information on the Soviet program. The U-2 is a remarkable aircraft, but advances in Soviet surface-to-air missiles made it a less-than-ideal tool for intelligence gathering, as evidenced by Francis Gary Powers and his U-2 being shot down. The Corona satellites are something I'm going to talk about in greater detail in a future episode, so don't think this is the last you'll hear about them. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Mulnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search The Space Shot or click the link in the show notes. Let me know what you think of the podcast by leaving a review in iTunes. It takes just a minute to do that, and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. I'd also appreciate it if you could share the space shot with your friends and family and anyone else that enjoys podcasts. Tomorrow, Lagios. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>